Hey everybody, what's going on? How's everything? How was your weekend? How's your week looking? Well, I hope it's looking as bright as it possibly can be as we're into the second week of July. Oh boy, summer just keeps on flying. If this is your first time listening to the J-Rose Podcast where I talk to you about the latest and greatest of the world of sports, welcome aboard. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time out to not only download, but of course, listen to this uh, sports podcast that will bring you everything that's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the gridiron, the world of the ice, hardwood, racetrack, tennis court, golf course, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the j Podcast always comes correct, directed, and in full effect. And if this is more than your first time, second, third, fourth, tenth, whatever it may be, uh, I appreciate it and welcome back for those tuning in. All right, a lot to talk about here in this program, much to get into. We'll talk about the baseball as we're a week away from the All-Star break. Yankee fans and the Yankees are flying high as always, just uh, trying to keep pace with the Red Sox, which is kind of hard to believe. And then the Mets just falling deeper. And deeper into the abyss, we'll get to all that later on. The NBA free agency, everybody in an uproar over DeMarcus Cousins going to Golden State. People need to pipe down about that. Where I feel Carmelo Anthony's best destination should be now that, for all intents and purposes, he'll be a free agent again after being bought out by the Oklahoma City Thunder. And we'll wrap up with a couple of other things and one final word before we bid adieu. But before you fall out of your chairs and... Hopefully you don't drive off the road if you're listening to this in the car. But I'm going to start off with the World Cup. I know. The World Cup. And the reason why, not only because this is the final week where we have the semifinals kicking off tomorrow and Wednesday with the final coming up on Sunday. But there were a few things that I saw throughout the course of last week's games into the quarterfinals that just made me think, "Uh uh-uh. This is one of the reasons why I have not gotten into nor do I follow soccer. So I'm not here to upset the apple cart of the legion of soccer fans that are throughout this world. And for those that are close by here in my backyard who I talk to from time to time, I understand I may get uh, some backlash in reference to this, but you got to hear me out, people, because with this sport, as universal as it is, here in the States, it just has not really gravitated, especially with me, but to a lot of people for that matter. And it was interesting because a week ago, My girlfriend posed a question to me saying that why hasn't soccer gained any traction in this country considering that it's such a universal game? And I actually had to think about it. It was a very thought-provoking question. And the first thing that came to mind was that the biggest soccer star in the world, not present of all time, is Pele. Where's Pele from? He's from Brazil. And granted that he is of that ilk when you think of players in their respective sports, when you think of boxing, especially back then, you think of boxing, it's Muhammad Ali. When you think of hockey, you think of Wayne Gretzky. When you think of soccer, I understand people in this day and age, this generation, they're going to look to Ronaldo, or they're going to look to Neymar, or Lionel Messi. But Pele is the guy. Pele is at the top of the food chain when it comes to soccer of all time. And despite the fact that he played in New York with the Cosmos back in the 70s, it still did not generate enough buzz where it carried over into a nationwide state. Yes, was it were the Cosmos a phenomenon at that time? Absolutely. And playing in the biggest stage, playing in New York, certainly enhanced that. But when you don't have a league and when you don't have the following, the backing that would be able to carry let's say Pele and that sport into 
the next generation after that and the generation after that and so on, it's certainly not going to, especially here in New York where there's so much to do, so many different teams, it's certainly not going to stick and it's not going to attract more fans or even the casual fan like myself. And I'm not even a casual soccer fan, let's face it. But that's the whole point. It certainly didn't get its traction going back from the 70s into the 80s. And remember, they even had indoor soccer, which pretty much is like a pinball. You know, it's a faster game. It's indoors. It's pretty much played in basketball arenas or hockey arenas throughout the country. And that certainly didn't, you know, make its mark. So now, when you look at soccer, especially here in the States, and I get it that the cool term, especially in the last 10 dozen years, the soccer moms and a lot of kids are participating and playing soccer, and which is great. But when you look at someone in my age and someone that has followed sports pretty much since birth, it's still a sport that I can't gravitate to that I'm certainly not going to run to the set to say, oh, this match is on, I got to see this team or I have to see this player. And that's part of the reason why I feel in my mind that because growing up, not being able to have that player or that team that you could certainly wrap your arms around. And right, people could say, all right, the Cosmos, but it was so fleeting that they did have their moment in the sun, but then it went away and that was it. And it certainly didn't pass the torch to another team or another league or anything like that to where I just felt, hey, I'm not even going to bother with the sport. Now, I understand people are going to argue with me and say, well, you got to give it a chance. You got to give it a shot. Watch the MLS. MLS is exciting. All right. I understand that the atmosphere in some of these arenas, especially when you go out west in Portland, Seattle, those two come to mind off the top of my head. And it's not to knock any of the other cities that have an MLS franchise. But being on the outside looking in, again, it's going to take a lot more to me to go to one game or to watch one player or follow one team to really get into the sport. And part of it is, is that am I a traditionalist in that regard that Because I haven't followed something like I have since I was a boy, whether it was the Mets growing up or the Islanders, the Celtics, Steelers, etc., where I have this long history and emotional attachment to not only the teams, but to the sports, to its history, where obviously I don't have that with soccer. And to pick that up now at 49 years of age, to go through the whole landscape of not only just the MLS, but even to go abroad with you know, all the leagues that are overseas or South America, etc. Obviously, it's a lot. And that's what it's going to take in order to follow it. But guess what? Not me. I'm just not going to do it. I certainly don't find it entertaining, to say the least. You know, I even watched a few minutes of the match on Friday, which was uh, not the France... uh, Matchup, I can't even, and just that just goes to show you where my head is at because I couldn't even tell you who played on Friday. Sad as it is. And right, as much as this is a global event, everybody is watching to see who's going to be the next World Cup champion. It's once every four years. Who knows? Maybe if it's once every, you know, every other year, it's something I can get into. I know it's special because it's every four years. I get that, but. Even still, I certainly can't get into it. Not like other people, not like even people that I work with. I I certainly don't look at it from a standpoint of, oh, geez, I got to see what's happening. Oh, what's the score? Oh, who scored the goal? Uh, No, I I just can't. 
And that's one of the reasons why I feel that soccer never really stuck in this country. Now, if you ask maybe the 25-year-old who, let's say, follows the MLS and follows some of these leagues overseas, they could counter that. And listen, if that person wanted to step to the forefront and have a debate with me, I'm certainly open to it. Because I could learn something in the process. And despite the fact that, yeah, I may be crusty in my sports ways and certainly not going to be open to certain leagues or certain teams or players. And that to me, that also goes for MMA. But that's a whole other story. But my point is, is that if somebody could, would step to me and say, hey, this is where you need to give it a shot or this is what you have to look at or break it, or break it down however you want to break it down for it to generate some sort of interest. And then from there, who knows? But until then, I don't know many soccer fans. The only soccer fan that I know is a longtime friend of mine who go over 30-something years. And I mentioned him on the podcast before, John Irving. Of course, nobody knows who he is, but be that as it may, it's one of those things where he would have to sit down and I would trust 100% with his thoughts, theories, ideas, whatever it is that he wanted to communicate with me. And even still, that may not get me to the TV or get me to watching or following the sport any closely than I have already. And we all know that that's pretty much nil. So enough of that. But that's number one. Number two are some of the things in soccer that I just cannot, as far as the rules are concerned, I cannot for the life of me understand why the game has these certain rules. And I'm going to start with the first one, and that's the clock. And I understand the clock is ongoing. There are no timeouts, or maybe there are timeouts. I don't even know that. This goes to show you how much of a soccer neophyte I am. Now, with the clock running, 45 minutes each half, I know that. And then you got, I guess, five minutes on top of that in case of any injuries or whatever it may be. To me, get rid of that. Who cares? If it's a 90-minute game, let it be a 90-minute game. That's it. And if you're going to have those extra minutes because you're not going to stop the clock during regulation of each half, okay, that's fine. But keep it at a hard five minutes or six minutes, whatever it is. Sometimes you see it even go a few seconds or even a minute after that, and you think to yourself, okay, what is it? What is the rule? And why can they have stoppages throughout the course of a match? And I get that people are going to say, oh, people get injured, or oh, you know, things do happen throughout the course of the game where – you know, time has to continue to elapse. Well, why is that the case? And the thing is that with the injuries, and there's a whole other issue I'm going to get to right now, which ties into the time aspect of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, you have these guys like Neymar, who I understand is a huge name in soccer for Brazil. But, you know, you breathe on these guys and they fall to the floor as if a ton of bricks fell on them. And that they may never get up and walk again, which is a disgrace to the game. Now, why can't they put in his rule number one? Why can't they put in a rule similar to the NBA and similar to the NHL that if you're going to flop or you're going to dive or embellish some sort of contact, that guess what? You're the one that's going to get the yellow card or you're the one that's going to get the warning to say, hey, you know what? I know you're trying to sell a hit or some sort of contact that's being made, but guess what? That's not happening. You want to combat that or you want to regulate that in the sport to me that's the way to go are they doing that now I don't know but guess what when I see a guy rolling around on the ground for 20 minutes because somebody you know stepped on his uh shoelace I mean what am I to believe what am I to think it makes a mockery of the sport 
And there's a way to regulate that. I'm trying to think of another word, but there's a way to enforce that in order for the game to be a lot more fluid and not only that, but also hold these guys accountable for not trying to sell certain fouls against the other team, which I think is a joke. So to me, that's that's rule number one. The rule number two was the clock. They should have stoppages. I understand when the ball goes out of bounds. You know, keep the clock running. I mean, that, that goes without saying. But if somebody is legitimately hurt on the playing field, then guess what? Stop the clock. Is that going to kill somebody? Is that going to make it worse that because it's going to stop the clock? But try to make it to where it's within reasonable time. So if somebody is hurt, let's say a leg injury or whatever it is, all right, tend to the player, get the medical team out there, let them deal with the player, and then hopefully within a reasonable amount of time, get them off the field, play resumes, start the clock, and that's it. I mean, how difficult is that? No, but let's just keep the clock going for the first half, keep the clock going for the second half, and then let's just tack on five or six minutes on top of that afterwards. That doesn't make any sense. You know, it's like the NHL. All right, so you have your three periods and then you have your overtime. And that's like saying, okay, well, after the five-minute overtime, now let's just add on just a couple more minutes where we're not going to stop the clock, but we're just going to keep it just in case if somebody scores a goal. That To me, that just does not make any sense. Sorry. And then before I get to the final rule, which to me is the most important of all, and which I have to say, it destroys what could be classic games and it destroys, I think, even the fabric of a tournament it are these penalty kick shootouts to end these games, especially when you're in the quarterfinal round or the final 16. Because when you look at the game last week between England and Colombia, and obviously there's a lot of Colombian people, Colombian contingent here in New York where I'd seen, you know, Instagram videos and social media and uh, uh, different platforms where, Crowds are gathered in bars and they're watching it and you see the excitement in Colombia. I know they scored a goal late in the match to tie the game. And it was, it's great energy. And listen, I understand that I don't watch soccer and I don't follow it for everything that I mentioned a few minutes ago. But right, when you see the energy of a fan base just go crazy over a goal late in the game. I mean, listen, I can relate to that. How many games have I watched in my life where, you know, a team has come back and tied a game or taken the lead where it just, It's just euphoria. I get that. But what I don't get is that they play an extra, whatever it is, 25 minutes on top of the 95 minutes. So that's their quote-unquote overtime. And then it goes to penalty kicks? Are you kidding? To me, that is just, you just pull the plug on the whole game. And people could say, well, Jay Reels, you know, these players are running on the field all day. They're exhausted. So, Well, that's part of it. That's part of the attrition, the battle that you have to go through in order to win a game. You know, that's like saying in the Stanley Cup playoffs where, right, during the regular season after the five-minute overtime, they have to shoot out. All right, you got to live with it, so on and so forth, because they want to have a, they want to determine a a winner and a loser. Fine. Same thing for soccer. Those first groups to start off the tournament, are there ties? All right, fine. You live with it. But when you get to this round, when you get to the Sweet 16, as we'll call it, and just like in the NHL playoffs, as I said, when the game goes into overtime and nobody scores, guess what? It's going into double overtime. And if they don't score there, it's going triple. And if they don't go there, it's going 
quadruple, and so on until somebody scores a goal. Same thing even in the NFL. NFL has overtime in the regular season. In the postseason, guess what? If the first overtime is over, they're going into a second. They're going into a third. Until somebody scores or until somebody, not necessarily scores because you could kick a field goal, but then if you march down the field goal field and kick another field goal, the game is tied, then guess what? That's going to go on until somebody scores. There's your battle of attrition. This is where your conditioning, this is where everything comes into play as far as where your heart is at, where your strength, speed, stamina, all that comes into play. Why can't they do that for soccer? I mean, the NFL is the most grueling of all sports, but in a Super Bowl, we had a couple years ago with Atlanta and New England, and we saw how that unfolded there, the first overtime, and New England marched down the field, scored a touchdown. But why was that the case? Because Atlanta's defense was cooked. They were toast. So they couldn't win that battle of attrition. Why can't soccer do the same thing? Especially in these games. And you had that also the other day with Russia, which I'm sure the people in Russia were going nuts because they had to go to penalty kicks and then lose. And we all know Russia is the whole city of this tournament. And right, I know to the soccer fan, the diehard, whatever it may be, they'll look at it and say, well, hey, that's just how it is. But no, I'm sure there's some that say, this is a joke. They got to change this. I know I would, especially when you're that close, you're in a quarterfinal and here you are shooting penalty kicks and oh, game's over. So imagine if you had a classic match. I mean, all out classic. And let's just take Colombia and England where Colombia scores that goal late. And everybody's going crazy. You're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, they actually scored. I, I believe they scored in the 92nd minute. And now you're thinking, all right, well, chances are there's going to be that extended time. Or I don't know if it's overtime or however you call it in soccer. And then it goes to the 120th minute. And the next thing you know, okay, well, now let's have penalty kicks. <laughs> that just ruins the game. I mean, that just, literally, that literally pulls the plug on the game and you just, it, it becomes hokey. As the example I mentioned earlier with the NHL, imagine the Stanley Cup playoffs, you play in overtime and then, all right, let's go to penalty shots. What? Or in the NBA Finals, you play in overtime, all the game's still tied, all right, let's have a three-point shooting contest. Or World Series, Game 7, all right, we play 12 innings, we don't want to go any further. And I know they're trying to tinker with that by putting a runner on second base, which is a joke. Oh, God, I hope I never see that as long as I'm alive. But for the sake of this discussion, imagine you play 12 innings, Game seven. All right, let's have a home run derby. Come on, this is the... This is soccer's highlight. This is what you wait for for four years to find out who's going to be that World Cup winner and it's going to come down to penalty kicks? That's a disgrace. It is. It's a disgrace. And I kind of wish I had uh, my days in the... Right this second, my days of block talk where I had two-way telephone calling where I have callers dial in and I'm sure that they would argue to the death and say oh Jay Reels you don't even know about soccer you're clueless you're this well I, one thing I do know is that I've watched sports my whole life and I certainly wouldn't want to have my team's fate sealed based on penalty kicks when you're in a quarterfinal semifinal or god forbid in the cup final because right I'd have to live with it for the rest of my life but at the same time I'd be like no let somebody let a player make a mistake let a player get tired and happen to trip or fall and people could look at that and say, oh, I can't believe you fell. And that's what ruined the game. Well, that's what part of sports is. Sports is having that theater. Sports is having that unknown where you look at it and say, oh, man, that player, oh, he overplayed the ball and fell. Or 
whatever, he misjudged that pass or whatever it was. That's the beauty of sports. The unknown, that's the theater of it. So imagine if you're Colombia and you score that goal and you, you, you're crazy. You say, oh my God, we're in the game. And then, right, you go through that stretch where you play another 20-some-odd minutes, but then it comes down to penalty kicks. No, it shouldn't come down to that. And I get that people out there are listening who watch soccer or listen to soccer, whatever it is, are probably laughing. Say, Jay Reels, here you are. You don't talk about soccer. You're killing the sport. You're saying all these things. And now, you know, I'm judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to this. Well, it goes back to what I said just a couple seconds ago. Excusez-moi. It goes back to what I said. I've watched sports enough, and I just gave you examples of if it was football in the postseason, if it was NBA in the postseason, if it was NHL, baseball. I, I gave you the scenarios. Is that how you want the sport to... Is that how you want to remember how that game is going to be? Because it ended up in a home run derby or a three-point contest? It will never happen. Even though baseball, as I said, <laughs> who knows? Oh, we don't want to see 15, 18 in games. We had to put a runner on second to make it interesting. No, 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 no. Stop trying to reinvent the wheel. And yes, when it comes to the clock or timeouts or diving, flopping, whatever it may be, these things can be rectified. We see rule changes in sports all the time. I don't even know if there's review in soccer, but if you want to review it, review it. But then again, you have to stop the clock. And of course, they don't want to stop the clock because it's soccer. Well, guess what? The game would be a lot better for some of the things that I mentioned, I think. And guess what? It would bring me to the set. So could you imagine if somebody were to call and tell me, oh, did you see, you, are you watching this Columbia-England game? I said, no, wow, what's going on? Oh, Columbia scored in the 92nd minute and now they're actually in like the 138th minute. I, you know what? I would go to the set and watch this. I'm serious. I would. I would look at that and say, really? They scored that late and then here it is. Now they're playing 138 minutes into the match and God knows how late it could go to. I would be riveted. I mean that. I would look at that and say, oh my goodness, this is going to be, it's, that, that's where you get the classic game. It's not classic when it comes down to penalty kicks. If anything, everybody remembers that it comes down to penalty kicks and it was a disgrace. And you had people on Facebook just cringing at the thought, ah, I can't believe we lost that game. Uh, England, other than that, we had a shot. But penalty kicks. It's a joke. So now you have these matches coming up, and I'm not here to handicap them by any stretch. I know my buddy, I mentioned John Irving. He's, uh, I know he's rooting for England. And you know what? They haven't won since 1966. Why not let them win or have them win? That's how I look at it. I know Croatia. You also have Belgium and France. France, I believe, won... Uh, when did they win last? They didn't win not too long ago. I want to say maybe 2002. Because I think Italy won in 06. Germany won, of course, in 2014. Can't remember 2010. But that just goes to show you, people, if the sport were to change some of those rules and... Maybe, just maybe, it would draw me in to be that much more in tune as to what's going on with a tournament like this. Because let's face it, this is this is the Super Bowl for soccer. And you could talk about all the FIFA Cups and uh, UEFA Champions, whatever they're the Champions League. and all. Honestly, I just 
don't care. But the FIFA World Cup, I should care about this. I should look at this and say, hey, let me handicap who's the good players, who's the guys to watch for, who are the teams, up and coming, dark horses, sleepers, disappointments, etc. Right. But if I'm not there for the other, you know, three years and 11 months, why should I be here for this one month here watching soccer when some of these things need to be changed or some of it to, for it to be even more interesting for me to watch? Right. Why should I just jump on the bandwagon here and just say, hey, now I'm all into it? No. And I get that I have to get invested. Maybe not emotionally like my sports teams, but I understand that I have to get a little bit more into the sport itself. And that's fine. I don't think I would adopt a team this late in my sports life. It's quite possible, but I don't think so. But even if I didn't, just being able to say, okay, let's take a look at this. Let's see what's going on. Let me see how I could somehow, some way grasp or get my arms around watching the sport, let alone following it. And I know you have a team that plays right here in my backyard, the you know, the New York you know, football club that plays these games in Yankee Stadium. But even then, I mean, I never got offered tickets to go. I never even attempted to go. I know of people who have gone. But even then, it still doesn't, it's not going to attract me to go to just sit there and for 90 minutes or however long it's going to be to just watch a sport that I don't really follow, don't really care for, and players that I couldn't even name one right now in the MLS to save my life. And people could look at that. Well, Jay Reels, I guess you're going to be close-minded to it. Well, maybe to a certain degree, but at the same time, where is that person? Where's that person that could come out and say, Jay Reels, let me sit down and break it down to you from pillar to post, from floor to ceiling. And let me just get you out there for one match. I'm up for it. I'll do it. Without question. I will certainly do it. But until then, I'm going to be sitting here in the background and I get people going to look at me and they're probably laughing and say, ah, look at this guy judging the sport and looking at he doesn't know and he doesn't care. And oh, please, Jay Reels, you know, you're a joke. Not the sport you are. Well, let's argue those facts that I just mentioned. And I think would make the sport better. And I think it'd make it even that much more appealing to the diehard or even casual sports fan. Because let's face it, until then, soccer is, is an afterthought in this country. And that is a fact. That you have to admit. And until then, people, convince me. Because I know that for all these years and watching all these sports and following it the way I have, soccer just does not do it for me. So anybody want to step to the forefront to debate, discuss, reel me in? You know where to find me. All right, moving on here to some baseball as we're a week away from the All-Star break. I know all the uh, the All-Star selections came out yesterday, and I'm not going to get into the snubs and all that because who cares at the end of the day. And I'm sure whoever got snubbed, somebody's going to be hurt or somebody's going to back out of the All-Star game, and they're going to get inserted in regardless. So I'm not even going to waste my breath on that. And people, other people can. And it's a shame because the All-Star game, out of all the sports, this is probably the best one, but even then it's still pretty bad. Because the All-Star game of yesteryear, when you look back, uh, I don't know, late 70s into early 80s, and that's when the NL dominated, where now the AL just dominates the All-Star game the last 20-some-odd years. You know, you had all the players that were pretty much on the same team. You didn't have the, excuse me, the free agents 
going around from one team to the next, league to the next, etc. Now you have so many other outlets, the MLB at bat app. You can watch all these games where when you watch the All-Star game back in the 70s and 80s, pre-cable, you watch players from the American League. You watched other players that you would rarely see. And it was that much more... To me, it was it was a treat. And I enjoyed it. And I loved it. And now the All-Star game, it's a shell of what it once was. You know, players competed. Not to say these players don't compete now, but let's face it. It's 2018. It's an exhibition. And it's been an exhibition throughout. But... It's certainly not as entertaining, and it's not edge of your seat. I can think of games, even 94. Remember that game in Pittsburgh when Tony Gwynn hit that ball in the gap in left center field, and I forgot who scored the winning run, but they won 8-7 in extra innings. 8-7. Go back in the last 10 years, and let me see a score that was anything close to that. You see a lot of 2 nothings, 3 nothings, 3-1s, 3-2s, 4-2s. I mean, you put you to sleep, bore you to tears. So that's the All-Star game. And again, that's next week. Not to get into that now, but I understand that's been a lot of the talk here the last 24 hours with a lot of these selections and players that deserve to be there. And, you know, the players who were selected, who's going to start, you know, who's going to be the starting pitcher? Is it going to be Max Scherzer to pitch at home for the first time since Matt Harvey in 2013? And that was a game I went to at City Field, excuse me, back five years ago on a very hot night. It was like 96 degrees. And those first two innings were electric with Matt Harvey pitching. After that, the game was a snooze. The best part about that game was the first two innings, especially the first inning, because Matt Harvey got into trouble and he got out of it. And then he pitched the one, two, three second. Mariano coming in, which was his last year before he retired, which that was great because he came in. Nobody was on the field. He's running in from the bullpen. I believe Enter Sandman was playing and everybody's clapping and rightfully so. We all know he's going to be a first ballot lock Hall of Famer. And he's standing there on the mound before he's throwing his warm-ups and the players are in each dugout and clapping and cheering him on. It was just a a sight to behold. And it was good to be in the ballpark for that. But that was it. And David Wright got a base hit also as a Met fan and representing the Mets in his home stadium. Those are the three highlights of the All-Star game and a 3-0 game, which again, would have put me to sleep if I was watching at home. And speaking of put to sleep, I'll get to the Mets in a minute. But the, the Yankees now... In the midst of a long road trip, they have three. They had three in Toronto, lost the first game, won the back two. Now they play four in Baltimore, including a doubleheader today, which was a makeup from uh, a game earlier this year. And then they go play in Cleveland for four, which Cleveland has finally gotten, you know, back on the beam here, despite the fact they played in an awful division. I mean, everybody else is under five hundred, and Cleveland has what a nine and a half game lead. Here as we're into the second week of July. And that'll be interesting, too, because remember earlier this year when Cleveland was in New York, they won those back two games. Well, they won a couple of those games late. Gleyber Torres hits, you know, the walk-off home run in the first game. And then the other game, they were, what, 4 nothing in the eighth inning, and they scored, I believe, 3 in the eighth and then 2 in the ninth and ended up winning that game. So I'm sure Cleveland's going to look to exact some revenge from that uh, series earlier at the stadium. But the Yankees, still no talk about bringing in a starting pitcher here. A lot of that talk's going to happen around the All-Star break and after the All-Star break. So even when I get on the air next week, there may be some talk about who may be coming to the Bronx, but at the same time, I don't think until we get past that, probably two weeks from tonight, that's when it's really going to heat up. 
because I'm sure they're going to wait till the final. I don't want to say they're going to wait till the 11th hour on July 31st, but look at last year when Brian Cashman brought in Sonny Gray. It was pretty much what I believe July 29th. So maybe not up to the final minute, but certainly waited to pull the trigger on a deal that brought Sonny Gray from Oakland here to New York. So as much as we could want to get into all the rumors and all the gossip and everything that may be transpiring here as we're getting a lot closer to the trade deadline, uh, still I would think we're about a week out, a week and a half out. I would think right after the All-Star break, that's when it's really going to heat up. And it's going to be interesting too because right after the break, the Mets continue their subway series this time in the Bronx. And I'm sure you're going to hear all the talk about Jacob DeGrom coming to the Yankees or even Noah Syndergaard for that matter. So I I don't think that's going to happen. I'd be shocked if they make a trade of that magnitude. For reasons that I certainly don't need to get into because, of course, you know, as a Met fan, they will think if Jacob goes to the Bronx, he has a chance to get a ring where who knows what the Mets are going to get back in return. And then in the long run, how those players are going to pan out and will they succeed if it's the a la Miguel Andujar's of the world or Clint Frazier's or players like that, that they'll play in Queens and will they have flourishing, successful, possibly all-star careers where the Yankee fan may be like, all right, well, hey, Jacob may have gotten us that ring, but uh, look at these guys. They're killing it over there on the other side of town. Meanwhile, Yankees are just, they're not playing from a stack deck. They're playing from a stack casino. So, but I don't think anything's going to shake down as far as the Mets and Yankees are concerned. But uh, that's pretty much, I mean, what else can you say about the Yankees? They continue to roll, you know, winning these games. They're winning them close. They're winning them big. And as long as you keep winning series and surprisingly keeping pace with the Red Sox, which is unbelievable. And the Red Sox have just been, they've been playing lights out as well. We know right now the American League is so top heavy. You know, Houston is certainly right in the ship after, uh, for them, a sluggish start. You know, they're 61 and 31. Red Sox have 62 wins under their belt. The Yankees are just four games in the win column behind them, but they're tied in the loss. So that bodes well. When you look at the standings are concerned, because we all know it's either going to be Red Sox, Yankees as the AL East winners, but who's going to get that wild card? And that's going to be fascinating. So a lot of baseball to be played. Obviously, we still have the trade deadline that's forthcoming. And uh, we'll certainly keep our eye on that in the days and weeks to come. As far as the Mets are concerned, after a meaningless, but hey, something to hang your hat on, walk off Grand Slam by Jose Batista. Friday night against the Rays. What do they do after that? They put up back-to-back goose eggs. Losing 3-0 and 9-0. And we don't know what's going to happen here with this front office. What are they going to do right? We would think the obvious would be to trade his Drupal Cabrera to a contending team to try to get something back in return. To trade Jeru's Familia to a team that needs relief, relief help. Hopefully bring back something in return. You're hearing a little bit about Zach Wheeler or even Steven Matz. Same deal. You're not going to bring probably back as much, but you're going to bring back something. And I wouldn't even trade Wheeler and Mets right now. If I had to trade one or the other between the two starting pitchers, I'd probably trade Wheeler. You'd want to keep Mets. The thing about Mets, though, is that forget about the health, and that's important. We know that. But although he's pitched relatively well, but it's just something with him that just doesn't seem to click. I don't know if it's because he just doesn't bear down. I know he's trying to concentrate and execute pitches. I get that, but yeah, he has those moments where, you know, he walks batters and then he just, the innings just get away from him. And I wouldn't trade him 
I wouldn't trade Zach Wheeler at this point either. But I'm open to listening to any proposals, anything that players were willing to give up to get these said players or pitchers. And you just take it from there. Because if you're the Mets right now, and I understand you don't want to put up the white flag to tell your fan base to not come out to the ballpark for the rest of this month in August and September. But let's face it, you're 35 and 51. You've gone nowhere since Memorial Day. And here we are now, a week before the All-Star break. And yes, you need to part with some of the players that aren't going to be back next year. Similar to what they did last year, but you would only hope and think and believe that for a guy like Azubel Cabrera, now granted, you're not going to get a top prospect back for him. I totally understand that. But what you can do is say, hey, let's get a middle prospect back. We'll eat the rest of his contract for 2018, but we want this type of player back. Or we want to get, we don't want the 30th prospect in your organization as the Mets did last year when they traded Lucas Duda. And again, I know Lucas Duda isn't, uh, you know, he's not uh, a top flight first baseman. I was trying to think of a guy off the top of my head, which I couldn't, you know, he's not Albert Pujols, but you get my drift. If it was money that they didn't want to pay Lucas Duda the rest of the year, just so they could get unload him to get something for him. Well, try to pay the rest of his contract and then get maybe like their 10th prospect, best prospect in the organization. Or try to go higher than that. So, right, if you're John Rico or J.P. Ricciardi or even Omar Mornaya, and you say, hey, we got this guy we want to deal. We understand it's a rental, but we'll pay the rest of his contract. We want to get number five in your organization. Number seven. Start with five. I understand you're not going to get number one, but start with five. Don't say, hey, give us somebody or anybody. Give us a warm body. Because you could get something. I think, I believe, out of those two players, Cabrera is going to bring you the Veteran leadership. Obviously, he's a good bat. Still could play. He could play second base. And he could... And not only that, but he's also a clutch player. That could bring back some value. Is it going to bring top value? Of course not. But at the same time, play up the player. He's had a good year. He's batting what? Somewhere in the vicinity now. He believes down to 260, but he's you know close to 15 home runs. 50-something RBIs on a dreadful offensive team. Guess what? That could bring back somebody. And Jay Roos, I understand he's been misused this year, and I'm not blaming it all on the manager or on the team for that matter, because Jay Roos has not been that he's not been what we've seen of him in the past. But at the same time, he is still a capable major league reliever who could close for some teams. So you know what? If you're John Rico, go to the Astros. Say, hey, I understand you just brought up a guy named Kyle Tucker. They're gonna be, what are you crazy for this guy? Okay, all right, all right, all right. Well, who's next in line? Or maybe who's third or fourth in line that we could get for Jay Roos Familia. The guy's had well over 100 saves in his career. He's done it in the postseason. Granted that he only did it against the Dodgers and not against, well, the Dodgers and Cubs and not against the Royals and Giants. But he has a track record and a good one. Maybe not a great one, but a good one. But hey, what are you going to give me back? I understand I'm playing GM like I know what I'm doing, but you know what? Hey, it's common sense. Nobody's saying you got to ask for the sun, moon, and stars for middling guys or guys that are young and in the last year of a contract, but so what? Hey, if you guys want to make it to a World Series and you need that final piece to your bullpen or your locker room or whatever it may be, then guess what? Try to upsell. Look what happened with Danny Ainge. Granted, that was with Grosbeck, the owner of the Celtics, but what happened with the Kevin Darnett-Paul Pierce trade? 
Yeah, we want your picks this year, this year, this year, this year, and this year. Guess what? He got plenty of first-round picks, and how did that work out for the Celtics? You mean to tell me the Mets can't do that either? So the Mets are going to ride out their homestand here against the Phillies, and they also got a makeup game. I believe they're doubleheaders tonight. And then they have the Nationals coming in for the weekend with the Nationals, even though they won three out of four against the Marlins, but they're just a game over 500, and who knows what's going to happen with that team moving forward. And they've been just a flat-out disappointment. And the Yankees, like I said, they're playing their games down in Baltimore before going to Cleveland. And then we have the All-Star break. And as I said earlier, Mets and Yankees right out of the break in the Bronx, those first three games. All right, now let's turn our attention to the NBA and a couple other things before we say goodbye. I know everybody was in outrage with DeMarcus Cousins going to Golden State. And right, when you first hear the news, you're like, oh, geez, I can't believe it. Now, we know he's going to be out till about January, February with the Achilles that he blew when he was with the Pelicans. But guess what? That's just how the system is. You know, if it was a long-term contract, there's no way they're going to give it to him. The only way that he could have been a part of that team was to take the one year to showcase what he has in February, March, April, and obviously May into June, and then flip that for the big long-term contract that he could get elsewhere. So, you know, I can't hate Golden State for making that deal. And a lot of it was on Cousins. Cousins said, hey, it was between them and Boston, and I chose Golden State. All right, that's fine. And I I understand that everybody hates Golden State now, and I'm one of them that, yeah, I'm not a big fan of them. I mean, of course, I'm a Celtic fan. But you know what? Hey, let them stack their chips, stack their deck. But there's going to come a day in time where, although they're going to be remembered for the stretch, and especially if they win next year, that's four and five. And they actually, the crazy thing is, is that they actually should have won four in a row. I mean, let's be real. 73 and nine. And I said that on the podcast weeks ago. Yeah, how much would they like to trade the la- one of the last two championships for the one back in 2016. Uh, I'm sure if you put some truth serum into Steph Curry, Draymond Green, uh, Andre Iguodala, Clay Thompson, they would say, you know what? Uh, we'll trade this sweep this year for that one. Oh, they would in a flash. Without question. But to think that this team now with Cousins in the mix, at least just for this year, you know, a lot of people saying, oh, why play the season? Why bother? Uh, well, hey, what are you going to do? That's just how it is. But anything can happen. Got to play the games. And usually in the NBA, the team the, the team that's usually the best team wins. You know, you rarely get that upset. You rarely get that team that's just going to go in as an underdog and next thing you know, here they are one game away from winning a title. I mean, the closest to that was Cleveland two years ago when they were down 3-1 and it's never been done in NBA history until then. So now you have Cousins in the fold. You know, you had a few other fringe signings here and there with a lot of the restricted free agents. I know Brooke Lopez uh, signed a one-year deal with the Bucks. You know, Zach Levine, Sacramento offered him $80 million for four years and in Chicago matched that, which <laughs> that's the NBA in 2018. A guy like Zach Levine, and no offense, I mean, we all know he's participating in a couple of slam dunk competitions. I believe he tore his ACL last year. But it's good. He's saying all the right things, saying, hey, I'm going to prove my worth. You know, I've been working hard at this. I've been waiting for this moment. So, good, kid. I'm glad. You know, obviously, you're going to play on a Bulls team that's not going to go anywhere. So, a lot of that could be stat-driven. And, right, we all know that the NBA is stat league, but in crunch time, 
you know, let's say if you're surrounded by good players, can you be that guy? So, of course, that remains to be seen. But the last thing I want to touch on with NBA free agency, and I think would be a good fit for Carmelo Anthony. Now, we know the whole buyout situation with the Oklahoma City Thunder, which I think was a smart move. I mean, they have over $300 million in payroll, which is just, that's not even obscene. I mean, that would probably make the Yankees cringe right now. What? Golden State 300 and they only have 15 players. Could you imagine? I think it was smart for them to do that. You know, Carmelo doesn't want to be in that role again now that Paul George is back in the mix. And I think it was smart uh, smart of them to do that. Now, the first team I thought about Carmelo Anthony going to was no, not the Lakers. was actually Houston because we all know a lot of people thought that he was going to go to Houston after last season when he was still a member of the Knicks, when they were trying to work on a trade, but then they had to bring Ryan Anderson back, which was making, what, 20 some million dollars. And, of course, Scott Perry and Steve Mills didn't want to take on that money. So then Carmelo got his trade to OKC. We know how the year played out. And even though Houston was in the mix back then, the first thing I first team I thought of was them, only because they were that close for getting to a NBA final, A. B, we know who the players on the team are and they play in a very up-tempo fast type system which I think would make Carmelo Anthony flourish even at this late stage of his career it would certainly help but the one negative about that despite the fact that it's D'Antoni's offense and they chuck a million threes and although it would suit Carmelo well and I still think they'll probably end up going there but I don't think it's a good fit only because now you're going back to pretty much what you got yourself into when you were in OKC you got your point guard and Chris Paul, just like you had a Russell Westbrook. Now, I understand Westbrook is more of a, he's more stats driven. He's more of a guy that's going to take a ton of shots, more so than Chris Paul, but it's not as if Chris Paul is only going to take nine shots a game. James Harden, do I even need to go there? He's going to take a zillion shots. So now Carmelo's going to kind of get, not lost in the fold, but it, again, if Paul's going to take 16 to 18 shots and Harden's going to take 18 to 22 shots, what's Carmelo going to take? So to me, I think the right fit for Carmelo would be Philadelphia. Because Philly doesn't have that guy that in the crunch is going to make that big shot. You want to say J.J. Redick? Now Redick, we all know, is an excellent shooter. Is a guy that obviously could drain a three from anywhere. But is he going to be a go-to guy in crunch time? We know it's not going to be Ben Simmons unless he's working in the gym right now on jumpers. And if he is, God bless him. And Joel Embiid, down low, people are going to double team. They're going to kick out. Well, that's the perfect guy. If you're going to double team and kick out, yes, J.J. Redick hit that shot. But now we're talking Carmelo Anthony. And Carmelo doesn't have to worry about having to get enough shots or play a certain role because I'm sure he'll go right in there. You fit him right there at the three. I understand what you're going to do with Robert Covington, but hey, You worry about that afterwards. You get Carmelo in there. You sign him for whatever it is, whatever the veteran minimum would be, because after the buyout, he's going to get his money regardless. So you sign him for the veteran minimum. He'll be closer to New York, which I'm sure, you know, with his family, which I believe is still here in New York. And you roll the dice and hopefully try to make a run at a Eastern Conference final against Boston, hopefully, and maybe even get to an NBA final, which Carmelo's never seen. I think that would be the best fit for him. But chances are, I'll probably go to Houston. 
I don't think he'd go to LA. I understand you look at hey, well, him and LeBron, they've been boys, but you know, they play the same position pretty much. And I don't think Carmelo would want to go to a situation where who knows how the rest of the team is gonna look way right now. And think about it. Last year last week when I was on the air, it was about LeBron waiting for the press conference, everything that I said, but just hours after. Julius Randle goes to the Pelicans. They bring in Lance Stevenson. They bring in Rajon Rondo uh, pretty much out of nowhere. And you're thinking to yourself, whoa, this is how the team's going to be constructed? And we know that going into this year for the Lakers, it was going to be difficult because they weren't going to get the second guy in there, a la Paul George, which was going to be, you know, which was to be rumored. We all know he's re-signed with Oklahoma City. So now you got to piecemeal this team for the one year and then try to make that run next year. Now, even with LeBron in the mix, they'll probably go maybe to a second round, but the buck will stop there. And then they got to retool for the following year when now LeBron has another year on his tires. And granted that he's a freak of nature and he's from another planet, but still, he is human. I mean, how much more 27, 9, and 9s you're going to get from a guy that's already got 15 years going on 16 years in the league despite the fact he takes better care of himself, probably more so than any other player in the league. So that's your NBA people. And now you're probably going to get, you know, little free agents signed here and there. You know, where's Isaiah Thomas going? You know, guys like that. A few other players that I can't think of off the top of my head, but you get the gist. Now that you got the big players off the board and now you're wondering how the rest of these teams are going to fill out their rosters as the summer moves forward. All right, you also have Wimbledon that's going on as you get to the second week, and pretty much all the top names are still there. Well, I know Wozniak, I believe, got ousted, but from the men's side, you still have Federer, you still have Nadal, uh, Djokovic, Isner, so you have a lot of those guys still in the play, and uh, we'll see come next week who our champion will be. And they actually started it real late, which I, I don't like. I know they usually finish right before, around, or shortly after the 4th of July holiday, but not this year. It's going on until, you know, mid-August. No, I kid. Uh, it's going on to this Sunday, so... And, and that's weird. Even though the time difference, I believe the the match was at 2 o'clock, the World Cup match on Sunday, the final. Well, the Wimbledon final is going to start, the men's final will start that morning, so it's not going to get overshadowed by it, so you just got to get up at the crack of dawn to watch the Wimbledon final if you want. And of course, the women's final will be on Saturday. And then one final word with me, and uh, a little bit of a different, I won't take too much time on this, but I just want to inform my people out there, especially those who are around my age, a little bit younger, a little bit older. Uh, I'm going for a CAT scan of the heart today. Nothing major. Everything's fine. You know, I had a physical about six weeks ago. Everything went well. All my numbers, everything came back great. But the one thing that I would suggest to people get, especially of my age, or maybe even whatever age, you could be in your early 30s, whomever's listening, just keep this in the back of your mind. All right? Just a, little, just a little nugget for you. When you go to the doctor, ask to get, now you're going to have to do this through a cardiologist, so your regular doctor's not going to do this, but ask to get a calcifying artery CAT scan. What that does is you go in that little gurney, kind of like an MRI, you go in there, you got to hold your breath for 10 seconds. I know it can be a little scary because you're kind of enclosed and you may feel like you're being suffocated. But you're only in there for 10 seconds, not a lot of iodine, not a lot of radiation. You go in there and what it does is that it takes a scan of your heart. 
and it's going to take a look at your arteries. It's going to take a look to see the aging process of your main organs in your body. And a lot of that, of course, is going to be detected through your heart. So unlike an EKG, that if you get that done and right, of course, that's a barometer as to how your ticker's working. But even more so, if you get this CAT scan, it's going to certainly take even a better look as to the aging of your organs. And right, for all I know, even at my age, is my heart acting like it's 55, 65, 45, 35? I don't know. And the only way to do that is to get that CAT scan. It's going to cost a little bit extra money. But guess what? Would you rather pay a lot here on the front end and know where you're at as far as your health status is concerned? Or God forbid, go through a scare where you find out later on and it obviously could have been prevented. So that's just my tidbit to you people. I'm getting that test today, 1.30. I'll give you maybe an update next week because again, we all want to be on this planet for a long time. And I get that people, hey, you only live once. I want to eat what I want and drink what I drink. And say, yeah, and I get that. Hey, listen, live it up, rightfully so. And I'm not even going to say do it in moderation, but just be careful. And what I mean by that is, yeah, not say that you got to go on binges and you got to just uh, eat everything in sight. But the bottom line is that you want to be here for the long run. You want to be here and not have to deal with meds and you don't have to deal with, you know, having to go to the doctor all the time and prescriptions and things of that nature. No, just got to make sure you eat right, eat good, eat healthy, exercise, make sure all your markers are clean, make sure your ticker's at its ultimate, and away you go. Nobody says you can't indulge from time to time. Nobody says that you, you know, oh, I can't have that. No, but at the same time, we're talking about your health here. So please, people, make sure you get that checked. If you have an appointment or if you have a checkup that's coming in the near future, hey, keep that in the back of your mind, bring it up to your doctor, And uh, I'm sure it's something that you won't regret if you don't do because, again, I would think that you'd want to know what's going on with you more so than you don't want to know because you certainly don't want to have to face any health scares or fears down the road when it comes to your heart. So please, people, uh, take a look at that. Check into that. And, again, calcifying artery CAT scan. It's for the heart. So as always, people, I appreciate you taking the time to download, listen to this program, follow me on my social media platforms, whether it's J Reels on Instagram, J Reels One on Twitter, the J Reels Podcast on Facebook. Obviously, I have the website at www.jreels.com for all the information regarding myself, a bio on me, my sports life, et cetera, et cetera. You'll certainly get a kick on that if you haven't uh, taken a look at the website. Also, people, I implore you, I say this each and every week, And I can't say it enough, but from the bottom of my heart, I certainly not only greatly appreciate it, but uh, I hope that you take a couple minutes out of your day after listening to this. And all you have to do is when you go to your phone and you hit podcasts and you see the J-Rolls podcast, there's a subscribe button. Just hit that. Hit that. And even if you want begging and pleading, eh, maybe a little bit, but please post a review a rating, et cetera, because all that's going to do is just drive up the traffic, not only just to the website, but also to the program amongst all the other sports programs in the podcast. And by generating that type of interest, it's going to increase the popularity. And at the same time, it's going to increase my chances of getting a better guests. And I know the guests have been few and far between the last four or five weeks, and that's going to change. But for whatever the reason, timing has just been off for a lot of these guys. And uh, or not to make any excuses, because you know my thing is to provide you with a very informative, entertaining, engaging but more so a credible and knowledgeable sports podcast. And right, of course, you could hear me week in, week out, talk about everything that's going on in the world of sports, which I truly love and certainly delivering it to you guys on a weekly basis. But it's even that much more greater and much more better when I have the 
opportunity to interview the broadcasters, the former or current athletes, the writers, uh, those people in the business, in the know, that have either written about the games, talked about the games, broadcast the games, or even better yet, played in these games, so I could bring you everything, this whole sports landscape here in this podcast platform, which I truly love. And again, it goes without saying how much I appreciate you supporting me, the program, the podcast, the website, et cetera, et cetera. So please share that with your friends, family, people who are casual sports fans just starting out, whether they're 10 years old or 100 years old. I certainly, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate all the support. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next week on the J-Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.